Hey, it's Chef Scoobs. Welcome back to Scoobs Kitchen. Today on the show, I'm talking with Hanalei Souza. Hanalei is the author of her book, Nice Work Boys. She's also the face behind the popular Instagram page, Lady Line Cook, and also an accomplished sous chef. Before we get started, just a reminder that if you enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review. And if you want early access to episodes, plus exclusive monthly bonus episodes, consider becoming one of our Patreon members. You can find details at patreon.com slash scoobskitchen. All right, let's do it. Hi, Hanalei. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's great to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me. How's your shoulder, by the way? Is it 100% after your Oh, did you? Incident? Yeah. Um, it's been like four years now. So it's it's good. It was like a year-long recovery, which is wild. It's a really long time. I thought it would be less time, but it's it's better now. I read this in your book. And so you, you separated your shoulder like totally yeah. out of the socket. How did that happen? snowboarding i mean that'll happen it's probably the most common snowboarding injury um but like you just kind of go over the front of your board and like (laughs) just happens like it happens once it like forcefully is pushed out of the socket and then it loosens all the joints and i actually tore like a ligament so then every time like i just had to move it weird and it would pop out which is why i ended up getting the surgery but it's been good since then I've broken a bone in my foot. I don't even really want to say it because it's embarrassing. Like, oh, yeah, it's a little <laughs> foot bone. But yeah, I've never separated something like that. has to be absolutely painful when it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it sucked because some people like, oh, just pop it back in. But mine just, it never did that. I would have to go to the urgent care and get it. <laughs> They'd have to like pin me down and like, <laughs> well, like I described in the book, just three doctors had to like pin me down and just like wrench it back in. <laughs> they don't give you like any pain meds or anything. They just do it. They offered to like knock me out under completely, but I was just like, no, nah, keep going. <laughs> Damn. That's ballsy. But it, I would have been yeah, like, yep, I'll take I don't know. Case. Once you like start, I was kind of like, well, we've already started. Let's just, let's just finish the way we started. I don't know. <laughs> just get it knocked out. Yeah. That's a sweet mug. What do you got there? I got, uh, I got coffee. In mine, what do you got? I have just raw milk, just straight raw milk. <laughs> raw milk. Is there yeah, I've been on a this? kick. A bit. I mean, I talked about it a bit on my page, but it's kind of like a health journey that I've been on. Like, um, I don't know, in in the kind of like nutrient dense foods world. But I've been I've been on kind of like a nutrition and health journey. But part of that's been like eating raw milk and oysters. And I don't know. There's this guy on Instagram. Like, speaking of Instagram pages raw meat experiment who just eats raw he just films himself eating raw meat he has like two hundred thousand followers or last time i checked what's that dude um he got he got called out for using steroids um but he was oh liver king yeah yeah what do you think about that liver is very good for you i also i also have been eating liver and taking liver pills but i feel like I actually followed him more for like comedic, like not because I like agree. (laughs) Although I think, yeah, I don't know. The whole steroids thing and the, he kind of like does, I feel like everything he does is like for views, but he does have a good message about liver, which I do agree with. So you, you've been cooking quite a while. Yeah. How are you making your liver? What do you do here? Well, right now, my favorite way to prepare liver is like a pate. So you can like, you either, some have, some recipes have you like, cook it and then puree it with a bunch of other cool flavors and stuff there's another recipe where you like blend it raw it's super gross (laughs) but you like blend it raw and then you put it in like a loaf tin and then bake it and it comes out and it's like the perfect consistency i can't do it 
I just can't do it. <laughs> it is. It's up, definitely kind. Of, and then I did fried livers recently. Like you kind of like a fried chicken. You would like bread it deep or not deep fry, just a, in like a skillet. But that's a pretty good too. I was one of those kids that my parents, um, you know, were were pretty worldly and pretty culturally aware. Yeah, uh, and wanted me to try different things. So we'd go to a restaurant and they would order that shit, and I would be like, nope, like absolutely. Like <laughs> yeah. they love one of their favorite thing. My dad's like one of his all time favorite party hors d'oeuvres is ramaki, which is I just, don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's liver, it, it bacon wrapped liver, like okay, on a pig. I yeah, I can't, I can't do it. But yeah, like you're li- right. I think it's good. Liver you. can definitely be done wrong. Like I understand the hate about liver because if I were to just turn on the pan and like fry liver and onions and like overcook it and not really do anything to it, it's not that good. You got to do a little more to it. But I feel like a lot of people growing up, that's what they think of when they think liver. <laughs> They've never had like a pate. Like a couple times I've cooked for people, I've made like liver pate. And they're like, well, I actually like this. I always thought I hate liver. And did you I'm tell like, them what it was be... first, or did, were you just can't like, remember? Oh, can't remember if I did or not. <laughs> that's that's. It's funny because I'll do that with Brussels sprout. Like, feel like that's my specialty in cooking. Is someone will say, "Oh, I hate this ingredient," and I was like, "You can't say that until you've tried." <laughs> Like, until you tried my, until you tried my, yeah. until you tried my like, uh, people got, have done that like Brussels sprouts, liver. I don't know. I like, I like those kinds of ingredients. Challenge accepted. Yeah. Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts, but it's, one yeah, of those things, Brussels like, sprouts are good. I hate it as a kid, you know, like liver yeah. and Brussels sprouts, but like what kind of kid likes liver and Brussels sprouts? But, I know, you know, right? Yeah. I grew up and I, I freaking love Brussels sprouts with some bacon in there. Oh yeah. Fried yeah. Breaking grease. I know, right? Yeah. So good. You know, you you have an interesting name, Hanalei. And to me, it's it's personally interesting because if you go to Hawaii and you go to the island of Kauai, on the, the very northernmost part of the island, there's a little town called Princeville. And if you go yeah. west of Princeville, there's a big crescent bay called Hanalei Bay. And yeah. It, it has that that name has some Hawaiian roots and it literally means crescent bay so i i just curious oh, really? like do you know like how you i know the place but i didn't know it meant crescent bay that's pretty cool i'm not from hawaii or nothing i think my parents just went there they really liked it i wasn't made there people ask oh were you made there i was like no they they went there like years before i was born and and then and they were like we really like this name I could see going there and like you, you know you come up on this cliff overlooking the water and you're like you know what that's exactly my what my kid. dad said. He said they were on this hike and there's this cliff that like overlooks Hanalei Bay. And it was like, yep, this is the one. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, the amazing thing about Hawaii is it's like such a unique place. But the food, it's so mind blowing because it's a tiny little island chain in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. But it has yeah. so much influence. Yeah, and it just kind of melds into this like flavor pot. It's pretty cool. I feel like Cause I also live in a tourist town right now, but like, I feel like places like Hawaii can get very like touristed out or like you'll go to your like all inclusive Hilton vacation and just kind of stay there. When yeah. in reality, like if you just left the, I feel like Anthony Bourdain always talks like, leave the hotel, <laughs> like don't eat at the hotel, like go and Absolutely. go out and, and drink with the locals. There, there's definitely a couple different types of travelers. I love all the Bourdain stuff, but I, that's the way I am. I don't like to eat chain food you know if i go somewhere yeah, i've never been know, i'm right? just gonna go down like 
an alleyway and try to find a local place. Speaking of food, in California, you have the best Mexican food in the entire country. You know, like El Burrito Junior, this little place on the side of the road that just makes little street tacos. You got some of those places where you're at? Where I am, we definitely have a few. And it's, it's interesting, like, I'll keep talking to people about, like, there's a couple taco places that are, like, owned by white people. And they're not doing that good. <laughs> and we'll talk about like, oh, like, why would you be a white person who's trying to open up a taco shop when there's literally like generations of Mexicans who have been running these little taco shops that are like really good? Like, why would you even yeah. try to compete? My town really lacks really any other ethnic food besides Mexican food. And then like New American, like that's where I work right now. It's like a New American kind of place. But it's like, can you explain New American? So where I work, would be called like new American, but it's like, we have pizza, we have pasta, we have tacos. Obviously we got your burgers and steaks, fish entrees, like nice ones with like risotto and sauce and stuff. A little bit of everything, like nothing to, I even ran a special lunch that was like a curry. So it's like, I feel what, what it comes down to like American food is like a little bit of everything, which is what's Cool. I feel like people think American food, they think like burgers and French fries. and But even those technically like didn't originate in, I don't know, most of these things like didn't even originate in America. So it's like, it's just kind of a big melting pot of like a bit of everything and all these different influences. It is. And I, there's no place quite like the US for that purpose. And that's one thing like moving over to Europe, which is, you know, great in a lot of ways. But I miss those little things, the ability to go walk, you know, 20 minutes down the road and get a number of different kinds of yeah. food. I mean, that's not in my town specifically, we actually are missing that. But in most, I feel like in any big city in America, like you're getting every, like where I grew up, there's like, I remember we went to this like Ethiopian place and you would like, I don't know what they're called, like pancake things, but you'd rip them off with your hand and then like use it to scoop up the bits of the food and they had like beef tartare and like all this cool stuff when you cook professionally um you get tired if it's thursday right and you you don't want to cook and you just want takeout what's what's your go-to so nowhere is open late i i work at the latest restaurant that's open so for us there's like no option or you go you go to the grocery store and you get sushi sometimes we'll do that the most common place i eat is i get a subsidized amount at work <laughs> that i can eat so like sometimes i'll just go to work if it's my day off or or if i get off early or something because it's like well it's free so <laughs> and it's good food too like it's not like oh it's free that's the only reason it's like it's free and it's good but i don't know sometimes i do get sick of the food at work even though it's it's good food but again it's like the same it's one of the few industries where people that work at a restaurant will just show up on their day off any other job any other profession on your day off you're not going to go to the office at my work like plenty of people i feel like you could tell a lot about a restaurant by if the employees like hang out there and drink or or get food like after work or on their day off but i feel like on any given day, there's some off-duty employee having a drink or having having a meal or something. So that's always cool to see. I feel like that's always a good sign. Yeah. It tells a lot about the culture of the restaurant. So you have that where you're at? Yeah, definitely. So you, you wrote a book, which is yeah. hard. How was that process? So I decided to write... Well, I wrote about this in my intro, but basically when I worked at a ski resort before working in the kitchen, it was this department of 30 men and me. And I was 21 years old. Everyone was older than me. And then i that was my first promotion. So I got promoted to be a supervisor in that department. And it was just 
it was a really fun and interesting time. Um, I had a lot of cool memories and I always, I've always kept a journal. So I would like write things down because I've always written. It's always been like kind of an outlet for me. Um, I've had a blog for since I was 18, just been writing things and no one would read them. Like I'd post on my blog. I had like no readers. I would just do it for myself. I like started writing. I was like, man, I could write a book about like this whole experience, just being at the ski resort and what that's like and everything I've learned. And so I started writing that, but it was like too short for a book, but too long for like anything else. So I just kind of put it aside. For the longest time, I believed that like to get a book published, you had to have an agent. You had to like be someone like you had to be famous if you wanted to write a memoir. You had to go through all these rejection after rejection and all this stuff like that. I feel like that's what most people think about, like how you get a book out but then I learned from a coworker that like self-publishing is a thing. Literally anyone could go online and like type out a book and publish it. Now, is it going to be successful? Like that's the question. Like, is it going to be a good book? Is it going to sell? But anyone technically can go online and publish a book. There's a couple different outlets. One of them, like you can literally just go on Amazon and upload it and then they print it on demand. I use a different third-party company because Amazon sucks for other reasons, <laughs> but I hired an editor and had a cover designer and all this stuff, which you definitely, if you're thinking of self-publishing, you should definitely have a budget. Technically, you could do it for free if you really had to. But I highly recommend an editor because I went through the editing process. Like I thought my book was pretty good and then he tore it apart and I rebuilt it. So you go through all that and then you basically upload it onto this print-on-demand company that I use. So I can order books for myself. So I have like a stack at my house that I, that I ship out if someone asks for it signed. But if they don't ask for it signed, then the company prints it and ships it like one book at a time. So there's no minimum. There's no upfront cost. You don't have to like buy 500 copies and be stuck with them forever. Like it's pretty, I'm always an advocate of like anyone could do it. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's easy to write a good book that sells, you know, that you're going to make up for the cost of everything. But if you really wanted to, you could do it for free and you could have no audience and you could build your own audience from scratch and kind of just make your own name for yourself, which is pretty cool. You hear a lot from writers that the first book was this crazy huge undertaking and it took them you know a long time but then after they finished it they get this writing bug and they just want to write more books is that you are you gonna write another one i that was my idea but i have <laughs> i don't think i've written like a single word so when the book came out i didn't have an instagram following i had like maybe two thousand followers um when the book came out but they were all cooks so that's how i was able to kind of like get the book off the ground i had a small audience but they were all cooks they were like my ideal target audience and so then after the book came out, I kind of started making videos kind of to market the book and get my name out there, but also like just to make videos about kitchen life. But I mean, they're all they're all related because the book is a kitchen memoir. So it's like people will see my video if they like it, then they're probably going to like the book. I guess my creative energy and output has been going into videos. I haven't been writing as much, even though like after I wrote my book, I was like, oh, I'm going to write so many more books. Like, this is my going to be my second book? And then this is going to be my third book. And this is like, <laughs> I had all these ideas. And then I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm not saying never. I definitely see that happening in my life again. And like, at least writing like another book, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> and I still work full time. So it's like, I've got that too. And, and I'm making videos, which is kind of like another creative outlet. I mean, you're doing something right. You're doing really well on social media. You've got a book. I mean, you're working full time. You're doing so much. Your book is called Nice Work, Boys. 
gaining confidence and learning to lead one job at a time. How did you come up with that title? That sounds like a uh, yeah. a, a personal story. The title is something that has been said to me many times over my careers in ski resort and in the kitchen. But I was like, I remember I was working under the chairlift, like at a ski resort, working with my crew. And uh, someone from the chairlift was like, nice work, boys, because we were like working, we were like building a thing out of snow. And I remember thinking like, if my life were a book, like that would be the title. Because it was always said, like I was always working and like we have our ski goggles on and our masks and, and our so you can't ski gear so you can't always tell ski area mountain operations is like mostly men like that's kind of just a widely assumed thing and then in the kitchen like when i was working like one of the servers came back and was like nice work boys and the chef was like hey you're gonna have to start saying nice work boys and girls now <laughs> but like it was just kind of this common theme that kept being said to me in my life. And I thought it was funny. Like some people like, Oh, is it offensive? I'm like, no, I like it. Like I would always chuckle when someone would say that. And it was always another coworker who would correct them. I wouldn't correct them. It was always like the guys had my back. It'd be like, Hey, nice work with boys and girls. Like when you first started and people just assumed like whatever job you were doing, it was all guys. Did that bother you? No. I mean, I, I went into it knowing, cause like I obviously skied and snowboarded like before I worked in the industry I I that's why I like moved to where I live right now is so I could snowboard and so I spent a lot of time like at the resorts and I'd never I'd seen like one woman ever like doing that job so I went into it fully aware like I'm probably going to be the only woman in this job like but that never that never held me back like I feel like some people might think of that like ooh like should I apply for this job because of that but I was like I'm going to apply for this job because I want this job. Like, I'm not going to think about that. Like, it was something that was in my mind, like, well, yeah, that's what I'm going to expect. But it was never like, ooh, is this a reason I shouldn't apply for this job? Yeah. And yeah. And I, I, I wrote about this in chapter three or something, but like the fact that it wasn't brought up at the interview, it was just like, okay, you're applying. Like it wasn't, they didn't give me weird looks. Like they didn't ask me how much I could lift. Like, there's like, you're here to apply for this job, obviously, because you want this job. And I didn't feel any like bias or any kind of, I feel like I'm pretty fortunate because other people who might be women in male dominated fields might like experience that. But I think that was part of why I like took the job right away. I was like, okay, cool. Like they didn't make a big deal about it. They didn't ask if I was capable. Like they were like, I think you'd be a good fit for this job. And so, yeah. Did you feel like you were part of the team? The guys in the kitchen can be a tough crowd sometimes. Did they accept you? Yeah. Were you, were you good to go? With yeah. The, I mean, I think at first it was interesting. Uh, I never felt like outcast, but I at the beginning, like the guys, this is so funny, but they would like try not to swear, which if you worked in a kitchen, like, the, like guys, you don't Impossible. have to. But it was, I was flattered that they would even think of that like they were like oh like we can't make dirty jokes anymore and like we can't swear and like and then I there was this one time like I was in the walk-in and then I came out and I like overheard the tail end of their conversation about some raunchy like story about what he was doing last night and I was and they were like and I was like guys you don't have to censor for me like I've worked in a kitchen before I worked a similar environment you can treat me just like you treat but I was like flattered that I was like okay like they they thought of me they were on their best behavior yeah yeah chapter one is called a woman's place 
that's a a bold title for a chapter. Did you want to make a a statement with that chapter title? It was kind of an irony thing because people will say like women belong in the kitchen, right? But then you go to a restaurant kitchen and it's all men. So like that was kind of irony or like the juxtaposition that I was playing with in that chapter. So basically that first chapter is like, it's kind of like an intro. So it's like me bringing you into the kitchen on like a Saturday night into the line next to me. So like the reader's not just reading about working in a kitchen. They are mentally there on the line next to me. Um, and so basically in that chapter, I kind of, I'm like, okay, so you say that like women belong in the kitchen, but then as soon as she works in a professional kitchen, people are like, Oh, well you don't want to get burns in your arms or like, Oh, like, shouldn't you be a waitress? Or like, there's kind of this pushback when it's usually like, the mothers and the grandmas who've taught these male chefs to cook anyway, I'm like, make it make sense. <laughs> and I didn't expect that going in. Like when I worked in the in ski area, mountain ops, I was like, okay, this is going to be all men. Like I'm going to be the only woman there. When I worked in kitchens, I actually didn't even give that any thought. Like I didn't expect, I was just like, I like to cook. So I'm going to go work in the kitchen. I actually didn't even put much thought into like being the only woman there until like this one lady was like, heck yeah, some ladies holding it down in the kitchen. I was like, huh? I guess, yeah, I guess it's only me. <laughs> Have you gotten any negativity from any other women? Just, you know, whether it's on your Instagram or just in, in your real life, just kind of opposing what you're doing? I can't think of like real life, even though I know it's common for like, I heard of this phenomenon where like, basically if there's women in in male dominated fields, like they feel like they're competing, even if it's subconscious. And so this isn't like personal experience. This is kind of like something that I read that was super interesting, but basically like you feel like there's limited places at the table. So you have to like fight for me personally. Like I haven't really experienced that, but on Instagram, yes. So like there are plenty of women out there. Like I remember I posted on my stories once this DM that I got that was basically like, you're so ugly. You're such a bad representation of women in the kitchen. Like you're disgusting. Like I laughed at it. I was like, that is like, where did you get that from? And so I reposted it and everyone was like, oh, hell no. Like, and everyone was like, what kind of misogynistic man? And I'm like, yo, it was a woman who sent that. I see my own DMs, right? And my own comments on my videos. But I can't imagine what it would be like on yours. I get interesting stuff. Like there is this one person who left like a string of paragraph long comments on one of my posts. And it was interesting. It was like a post that I had posted like two years ago and somehow it resurfaced and they were like commenting on it. They basically just told a bunch of stories and their English made no sense. Like it was just... It was a pain to read because the English was just so bad, but it was basically like, oh, every single woman I've ever worked with, all she does is cry and she can't hold her place on the line. And all she does is reheat pre-made desserts. And she just can't like women just can't hold it down in the kitchen. And like I've gotten other comments just like telling stories of like, well, I worked with this horrible female cook who always called out or like, just like maybe you, okay, maybe it's true that you had one bad experience, but like they kind of made it about gender. When it's like, okay, maybe that was just a bad employee. Like, you don't have to bring gender into this. Like, you just, you worked with a bad employee like we all have. I could say I worked with a bad male cook and I could say that all male cooks suck. But I'm not going to say that because I'm like, that was just a, one bad employee. The most interesting comment I've ever gotten was just literally a video of me cooking. It had nothing to do with gender. It had nothing to do with this topic. But the guy said like, well, I don't want you changing your tampon and touching my food. Nice. Nothing like I didn't talk about that in the video. <laughs> Literally just like I like to I used I haven't done it in a while, but I would just like film myself cooking at work and I just posted the video like it wasn't even nothing to do with that. He just came out of left field with that comment. I was like, whoa. 
Okay, you had to think you had to go there. People are nuts. I that's the one thing you that's that social media has taught me. That yeah, there's a lot of crazy people oh, yeah. out there. Yeah, just have no filter, no like ethics or morality. They just say whatever they want, and they're always like a blank account with no profile. Like people have people have no balls in real life. And so they just hide behind a fake account. And so that always gives me all solace of like, okay, so this person is trying to tear me down, but I'm like, well, look at them. They have no profile picture. They don't follow me, which means they take the time out of their day to find my videos day after day and like st basically stalk me. I'm like, so they have nothing going on in their life. Well, at least they're giving you comments yeah. to help your engagement. I know. That's what I say. I'm like, well, it helps my engagement. It doesn't matter if the comment's positive or negative. It's like, and then other people will argue with them, which boosts it even more. Like, that's how I had several that's videos the, go viral is from that. That's the best. You create something that just people argue amongst themselves. You're like, I'm yeah, I'm I know, not, right? I'm, I'm taking a step back on this one. I know. I don't, I don't argue with people because I don't have time to argue with everyone. So I just have a policy. Exactly. I'm like, I argue with no one. I either, I argue with everyone or I argue with no one. You know, it's amazing though, talking to women about, inequality in the workplace a lot of men don't understand that this is still happening they're like yeah. oh yeah that happened like you know decades ago and it's such a a hot topic now and i don't think it's any better now than it has been in the last 50 years so when you write your book is that in your mind when you're writing this that you you just want to bring this to the surface yeah that, hey this is number one it's happening and number two you know women can do anything just as good or better than men. I feel like the whole point of the book was just to like tell a story. Like I feel like I've always enjoyed, like that's my favorite type of book to read is just like someone's life story. Like I just want to meet all the characters. And um, so I, for me, it was really just kind of like a lighthearted. I met so many interesting, funny people who had such great personalities. Just the random facts guy who would always have a random fact on deck. And then like the, the guy who thought he won the lottery, like <laughs> all these just amazing and that was part of why i wrote it i was like man i gotta write this down like this you can't make this up can you share the one about about the guy that thought he won the lottery <laughs> yes you know you you probably get these like email sweepstakes that say like you won a million dollars or whatever absolutely so that's what he fell for <laughs> no i was like yeah i get those emails too and he was like oh but but like it's real like i have the like, emails so it's you real one too we both won. You too. What are the odds? <laughs> he was like one of those lifetime chefs. He'd started in kitchens at like 12 and he was in his 50s. And that was all he knew. But he was one of those like burnt out at the end. He just wanted out. So he was willing to like believe anything in order to get out. And it was kind of this really sad story because obviously like he got scammed. I don't even know what happened to him. He, he literally disappeared. <laughs> kind of my entire point of telling that story is like, okay, but this guy taught me like most of what I know about cooking is I learned from this guy. And so it's like, you'll learn things from people. Every person that you encounter, like you can learn something from. It doesn't matter if they're the kind of person who like falls for a lottery scam. <laughs> you know, like some people learn from a trained CIA educator at culinary school. And I learned from this guy who thought he won the lottery. You know, you brought up a good point. That's such an important life lesson is you just have to be a sponge no matter where you're working. Yeah. And it doesn't matter <clears throat> if you like the person or not you yeah can still listen and learn from them <clears throat> like the other guy those. i wrote about he got fired from three different jobs for sexual harassment but he said oh don't worry it was never my fault but like that guy also taught me a ton 
he taught me, he, he taught me at my first kitchen job. He like taught me how to work a line and taught me like the basics of everything. And like, he wasn't even that good at cooking. He just was like one of those line cooks who had like nothing else to do. Oh my, I had to edit his character so much because I was like worried about getting sued. And I had to, like, I did all this research about like how not to get sued when you're writing your memoir. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I took out so much character building stuff about that first guy, but I was like, it's not worth the risk. <laughs> It's one of those industries where it's so easy to come up with characters. It's all just real stories. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't even have to come up with this. Like, I couldn't make up that story if I tried. <laughs> I know, right? That's yeah. The, that's the funniest part. It's like, yeah. I can't make this up. You got hired on the spot at one point as a line cook in, the, in a mountain tourist town. I've been to plenty of mountain tourist towns. They're usually like super busy in the on season and then totally busy yeah. in the off season. I think COVID changed that though. Cause that's how it was. Like it would be like crazy, crazy in the summer and in the winter. And then like in the spring and fall, it was really slow. But with COVID, like I think a lot of people moved and a lot of people are working remote or homeschooling or doing whatever. And so now it's like busy during the off season and it's like really, really busy during the, like we've been crushing numbers like every single year, even like at the ski resort. Like the, I remember when I first moved up here, there was never ski resort traffic. Like that wasn't something that you had to think about in your day to day. And now it's like, oh, don't drive. Don't drive between here and here on Saturday. Otherwise, it'll it'll take you five hours to go three miles. It's gotten so bad that Are you like happy about it. I mean, you're in a, you're, the restaurant. It's good and well bad. And... Like, it's good because we're busy and we're making money and that's good. But it's also like we get so busy and it's like our town doesn't have the facility for this number of people. Like we don't have the infrastructure. Like if you go downtown right now on like a Saturday night and tried to get a table, like you'd be looking at like an hour or two hour wait, like at every restaurant. We don't have the infrastructure for like all these people that come in to ski on the weekends. It's like literally the traffic is so bad that like if you're a local just trying to get to work, you can't travel between 8 a.m. And, and 6 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays and, and also on like Friday nights. Is it fun to to snowboard? I mean, for me, I liked it when it was quiet, when there was just nobody around. I don't go on weekends. And then the other day I went on the Thursday because I have Thursdays off. So I always go and it's never crowded. And it was so crowded. <laughs> I was like, don't these people have jobs? Like, come on, yeah. you guys are, I moved to a ski town so I could be a local yeah, and you're the local. ski on weekdays. And now you guys are all here to ruin it. Okay. <laughs> like, Yeah, you're the local. That kind of sucks. That's yeah, I know, right? When you're cooking, is there a difference when there's a lot of tourists ordering food that aren't necessarily from there? Do you see difference in tickets with like crazy substitutions or just people wanting ridiculous things that you know a local wouldn't do a little bit like i feel like there's a lot of like gluten allergies in quotes <laughs> or people who will be like they'll say like oh i'm celiac and so you know obviously we have to take that very seriously but then they're like well i want something from the fryer and we'll, we'll i'll tell the server i'm like okay like there's not gluten in this but like it's in the fryer so like if they were really celiac they would understand like that there's cross-contamination and then they go out and ask of like, oh yeah, it's not really that. Like they just are trying not to eat gluten. So like, and they're drinking a beer. So it's yeah. like, okay. Like when you say allergy in the kitchen, like we change your tongs, we change your gloves, we do everything. Like it takes, it takes a lot. Like I don't want to say it's a pain because I, I actually enjoy like serving people who do have a severe allergy and like they trust us with their life. And so we take that very seriously. And like, it's my honor, I guess, to, 
cook for them. But when it's like not really an allergy and we go through all that (laughs) and it's like, come on, like you don't like, just say you don't like bell peppers. (laughs) Like just say you're trying to avoid gluten because it hurts your stomach. Like don't tell us that you're a celiac or that you have a severe allergy, you know? Or yeah, I feel like that's a very like California city, like LA area thing where people are like well I'm keto or like I'm avoiding gluten or I'm avoiding carbs or like another common one is like they'll get the steak but they don't want mashed potatoes they want like just extra veggies with no mashed potatoes and it's like some like low carb yeah yes you you do get a lot of uh requests that are yeah I wanted to talk about a quote from your book you said and I don't remember what chapter it was the work is hard and poorly paid So few people apply and fewer people stay. That brings up a really interesting point. If I was in college and I was living at home and I didn't have a lot of bills and I was like, you know, I don't want, I don't know what I want to do. I love cooking. I want to work in a restaurant. I may be able to swing that. I may be able to get a job on the line or or washing dishes or whatever it is, entry level, um, and still get by. But if you're in your 30s, and you're like, you know, I love cooking. I don't know if you'd be able to support a family on an entry-level restaurant. Not, not entry-level. Like, for me, where I am right now, like, I feel like I could. Like, my husband and I both work, and we're, like, dinks, double income, no kids. But, like, okay, I feel I, like... That's a new we one. Can, I mean, we're in California. I have nine roommates. And, yeah. <laughs> like, we're make like... We're actually, but we're about to move. Like we can afford to not have nine roommates. So we're actually moving like next month or I say April, like it's not the end of March, but we're moving to like, we're only going to have two roommates. Ooh, like, but it's like, it's like, I don't know, to pay your way in California, like on your own, only working one job. That's a huge thing too. Like I used to work two or three jobs, plenty of my coworkers. And that's, it's really sad, but like a lot of these entry level, not even entry level, like skilled line cooks, but they don't want to take on leadership. Um, Cause I'm a sous chef right now. So I'm like, I have to lead people, which is a whole nother challenge. But if you just want to be a line cook, yeah, you're not making as much. And a lot of these people do have two or three jobs. It's, kind of sad that it is that way but I mean there is a future like for me like yeah I do I can support myself on one job but it's like I had to work up to that point I have to be a leader and a manager and like not everyone wants that and I totally understand like you should be able to pay your bills if you don't want to be a leader and a manager like you just want to be a skilled line cook so do you think because of that the industry is somewhat age restricted i mean a lot of the the people coming in looking for jobs um just entry level are they younger people no actually i think it's a generational thing but i feel like the new generation you know like i'm like z lenial so i'm like in between but like the true gen z's and like the teenagers now like a lot of them aren't even getting jobs like it's not i feel like when i was growing up like when i was 17 i was like okay this is what you do like you get a job and that was very much like my parents generation and and the generations above me but I feel like that's kind of gone away a bit so there aren't like our dishwashers right now are like 50 year old men um they're often they're often Hispanic and they're often don't speak very good English and so they kind of and it's really sad it's like they often do have two or three jobs and they have a family like it's very common that they'll have a family back in Mexico that they're just trying to support and so my heart goes out to like those people that have to be in those situations because they they're just they just want the best for their family. So like, but it's interesting, like, because I've had these conversations before where it's like you think that dishwashers 
and like entry level cooks are going to be like young, right? But a lot of them are like older men, at least at the restaurant where I work. No one really stays the dishwasher that long if they're good. Like a lot of our dishwashers end up getting promoted. They start learning English. They know enough to like work the line or be a prep cook and they work their way up from there. Like a couple of our like best employees right now, like they all, I mean, almost everyone started as a dishwasher. So I feel like it's definitely a good like gateway job. But a lot of there are a lot of people who are like, that's all they know. Like they can just do dishes and they're just trying to support their family and do the best that they can do. But I'm usually the youngest person at work. And it's weird because I'm like technically in charge. But I don't know if that's just like in the area that I'm in or I don't know. So you're a Sue now. That's awesome. Congrats. Is it so this is what you want to do moving forward? You want to move up? You want to be an executive chef? You want to run your own restaurant? What, what do you want to do? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I always try to be super open. Like, I don't want to lock myself into like a path because five years ago, I didn't even work at restaurants. Like my goal five years ago was to like be in ski area mountain ops and like, and, and be like a ski area manager. You know, that was five years. If, if you'd asked me my five-year plan five years ago, and now I'm like, uh, I'm a chef now. So that's, that's a little bit different, but it's like, that works. so I always try to like say, open oh, people ask like, oh, would you ever want to like make more money as like a private chef or open your own business or like, do you want to be a full-time content creator or (laughs) all this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I, I know that I love working with my hands. I love actually working in a kitchen. I love working with a team, which is why like, I'm not completely discounting like being a private chef or whatever, but I'm like, I love like the camaraderie of like working in a kitchen with like 10 other people. And it's just like the vibe and, and like learning leadership and having to lead and manage people is like a skill that I'm working on. And so it's like right now, that's where I want to be. Um, and I feel like the next natural step for me would be executive chef. I don't want to like lock it into a box. Maybe I want to own my own place. Maybe I want to move out of here. Maybe I want to go into fine dining and and completely. I, I couldn't do fine dining where I live right now. There's nothing. So I'd have to like move my entire life to do that. But I'm like, I'm not disc- discounting that like that might happen. So yeah. And then even with like the book and the Instagram page and that whole side area of my life, I'm like, I could also go somewhere. I'm like, I don't know. So when you look at the the culinary industry, right, you got like two paths. You've got like the formal education path. You go to your CIA, you go to your Cordon Bleu, whatever it is, you graduate and you go that route. And then the other route is you just learn on the job. You're thrown into the deep end. And that's that's what you did, right? Yeah. So I just learned on the job. I I did cook at home a lot. So it wasn't like from completely nothing. Um, I always loved cooking and I cooked as a kid. But I thought it was funny because I thought I knew a lot about cooking when I like went into my first restaurant job and was like, oh, look, I've been a home chef for 10 years. Like now that I look back, I'm like, oh, my God, that means nothing. Just the fact that I've trained people who have never cooked anything and like I've trained them to be a good line cook. It's less about how much you can cook and like if you can work under pressure if you can keep organized if you can follow a menu if you can follow steps if you can multitask like it has way more to do with that than if you can actually cook i mean having the passion definitely helps too because sometimes you're like oh my god why am i doing this but it's like okay but i actually like cooking and it's cool that i get to do it for a living so do you look at the other path you know the the culinary school as something that you wish you would have done, something that you don't feel you need anymore? Uh, How do you view that? I think just because 
being in a tourist town with a worker shortage, I've had a lot of opportunities that maybe I wouldn't have had if I was in like a big city. I feel like I can't really speak for everywhere and everyone because maybe like if I if I lived somewhere else, they'd be like, oh, we can be picky because we have a stack of applicants. Although I think after COVID, a lot of that changed too, to where no restaurant has a stack of applicants. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think maybe there was a time when, yeah, you did, maybe you did need the degree. Um, and I definitely recognize that there are gaps in my own culinary knowledge. Like I don't pretend to be like, well, I learned everything on the job. I think a lot of the classic techniques, like I learned some of them on the job, but not everything, right? Like I learned a few of the mother sauces, but I've never made like all five of them. But then again, it's like I went onto YouTube and I learned, I typed in the five mother sauces and now I like know what they are at least. So it's like, I feel like a lot of that knowledge that they teach in culinary school is the stuff that's kind of like easier to learn. The stuff that's harder to learn is like actually working a line working with a sense of urgency, leading, managing. That's all stuff that I feel like it's harder to teach. And for me, I'm really glad that I learned it on the job. Maybe I don't know how to make the five mother sauces, or maybe I don't know this technique or that technique, but like that stuff, it's like easy. Like for me personally, I could probably, someone could show it to me once and then I could probably do it just because I've, I've, cooking is something that's super familiar to me. Like it's very natural and I can like kind of pick things up because I know the basics. When it comes to like, oh, like putting together dishes, putting together my own plates, that's where I'm kind of a little bit more insecure about like, like even recently the chef was like, okay, we're changing our menu. You can have one thing that you come up with. And I'm kind of like, oh, like I'm not, <laughs> that's something that I'm still working on. Like I'm very excited for that. And I love that I get that opportunity, but I'm also like, I never learned how to put together dishes. <laughs> like I just kind of learned how to work menus at certain restaurants and I learned techniques from there, obviously that I can transfer to over, but I'm like, man, I got to do some research and like look up a lot of inspiration and like, where do I even start? Like, what do I, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that is what is missing from not going to culinary school, but I don't like wish I'd gone. But then again, like maybe if I lived somewhere else, maybe I would have needed to go. And I think for some people that is the path that it was best for them. And for other people, you know, they didn't go to culinary school and like, that's the path that's best for them. So what came first, your cooking or your Instagram? The cooking. So I was making cooking videos since I was 14. And this is this is what I tell people. People are like, oh, well, but you have a big platform. Like I was like, I used to post a video every week, like a full length, like eight minute cooking video that I put lots and lots of effort into every week for years. And I got like no viewers, like you'd get like 10 views. And it was probably like me and my mom and like one friend. <laughs> it was I posted and it was called the green beanie i can't believe i'm actually like saying this because it's still beanie? on youtube it's still on youtube oh i was like 14 but like that's how long i've been cooking for like i was making cooking videos and they were cheesy and they were they were now that i watch them they were so bad that they're good I love that. like you ever watch this thing and it's so cheesy that it's like actually good because it because of how cheesy it is like that's that but that was my style like that's what I was going for and I would make these like elaborate cooking videos and yeah no audience no one was watching but I kept posting and I kept posting every week and I'd post and post and make these videos and spend all this time editing and then I took a break for a bit like when I moved out and went to college and stuff and um just wasn't able to make those videos so I didn't I wasn't making videos for like a couple years and then after the pandemic in like May 2020 is when I started the Instagram page not that long ago yeah coming up on like three years now and now you've got 46,000 yeah 42 I think 43 42. That, it blew up over the summer because 
of two videos <laughs> where one of them was like, if you've ever been to a restaurant and ordered a dish with the sauce on the side, I guarantee you there is or was a sauced version of your dish sitting somewhere in the restaurant, <laughs> in the trash or in the belly of an employee. And I don't know why that would took off. It's relatable. But it did. Uh, well, it was a bunch of pe- it got shown to a bunch of people who weren't chefs who would comment like, I don't understand this. This is stupid. I don't know how the algorithm chooses what nobody knows. Goes. Yeah, it's out, you, a mystery. You know. All you got to do is keep posting and and post consistently. And even if no one's watching, keep posting, keep writing, doing all those things, because you can go back to those YouTube videos that have like probably still have like 100 views or 50 views. And I'm still there making those cooking videos. Well, hopefully some people will see this and, and go to your green beanie. YouTube I know, right? Channel. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I actually gave them the plug. It's it's so bad. It's good. So I love it. Well, I'm going. To. Yeah. Speaking of Instagram videos, you made a video. It was how you order a steak and what that. Tells oh, yeah. You. But on a, on a deeper level, you know, I feel like food is is one of those things that really does tell you a little bit about yeah. the person for sure. So, of course, we have to ask, how do you order your steak? I like it. And okay, what does I it say it. about you? I hate on half temps, but then I'm guilty of being like, well, I like between rare, medium, rare. But it's true, though. I won't order it as a half temp. But basically what I'm saying is like it could be rare or it could be medium rare and I'll be happy. But it's definitely like rare or medium rare. Even if it's medium, I'm sure it'll be great. But just don't go past medium. And if it's filet, it could also be like blue rare. Well, I I feel like most cooks and chefs would probably not go over medium so it depends on the cut though like what you realize is like different cuts have an ideal temperature like you could order a filet blue rare and it would still like you'd still eat it it'd be tender but then if you ordered a ribeye blue rare it would still be kind of tough because like the fat hasn't broken down so ribeye it's like it's better to cook it a little bit more than you would cook filet because of like the cut certain like lamb it's better to do like more like mid-rare to medium people are always gonna be like well i don't want any pink People drive me nuts. I feel like if you go to yeah. a restaurant and just nitpick about these things, you're not there for the right reason. I feel like those people like think they're all cool and hip because they're like, well, I have this secret knowledge and I'm going to build my own menu item. And like, I'm so special and I'm going to order mid-rare plus, but not medium because I know so much about steak. And it's like, they think that those, it's, are, the, those are the ones that t- they're on like a first date. And they just want to. Yeah. And they yeah. think that's what makes, but it's like, no, the coolest mm-hmm. thing you can do is like order something on the menu as is because it's the chefs are professionals. We come up with the menus. We come up with flavors that go together. Like in our dishes, it's like you eat a piece of the fish and a piece of the risotto and a piece of the sauce and you eat it all in one bite and everything just like goes together. And then sometimes people will be like, well, I don't want this sauce. I want the sauce from the other dish and I don't want that fish. I want a different fish. And, I, and it's like changing a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, the flavors don't go <laughs> like you don't understand. <laughs> like, That's I'll do I it. Want. I'll do it. But like, don't tell me. And people have done that where they change something about a dish and then they send it back. They're like, I don't like this. Like, well, yeah. Yeah. You ordered <laughs> of it. Of course you don't like it. <laughs> you know who doesn't order temps are the vegans who I, I know. That you, you made a comment about this. Uh, I think it was on that video, actually, about vegans. sometimes they're pickier though like i don't get it i I mean this is an open forum and i don't care if people come after me for talking about vegans but (laughs) it's all right i'll talk about vegans too i've never been vegetarian either but at least vegetarians i understand like the balance that there is because you can still use some animal products um yeah it's not as restrictive (laughs) it's one of those things where it's kind of on the extreme end of 
a point of view, they just, they get so in your face about it. Yeah. But then you also have carnivores who are just as like, not, I'm not talking about carnivores like me and you, we're omnivores. I'm talking about like actual carnivores who are just as bad. Meditarians. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, cause I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the middle of that debate between vegan and carnivores. And because I, because I'm kind of in the raw milk, liver, oyster, nutrient dense food kind of world, but I'm I, you know, I'm not a carnivore. I just I eat everything. Like I'm a chef. I like food, so like that's what I eat. There's so many polarizing. I'm like, can't we all just be on the like? My opinion is like, <laughs> be on the diet that makes you feel good. Like, don't tell me because I turn my health around eating more animal products, and and I'm. I feel the best I've ever felt than I did when I, I've, I've never even been vegan, but I'm like, I used to eat less animal products and more grains and, and veggies and stuff. And now that I eat more animal products and balance it out a bit, like I feel way better and my skin cleared up and everything is healthier. So I'm going to eat that diet because that's what I like. And you might be on keto and that's your diet and you feel great. So keep doing it. And you might be a vegan and you feel great. And that's the diet that you felt best on. So do that. I'm pro like figure out the diet that you feel best on, but don't try to tell me I need to be a vegan when I've literally turned my health around by eating more animal products. Like yeah. I'm not going to, and people say, do it for the planet, do it for the animals. I'm like, not at the expense of my own health. Like, sorry if that sounds selfish, but not if it means I have to be miserable. I, I totally get it, but it's so hard. You know, there's so many different diets out there now and you know you should do this and you shouldn't do that and there's so much conflicting information especially because i think of tiktok videos where you could have eight people do the video do a video on the same topic and they're all different yeah opinions. it's like which one do yeah I listen to? yeah because you see these like i turned my life around being a vegan and it fixed all my health problems and then you see this i went from being a vegan to being a carnivore and it fixed all my health problems and it's like my good for, i'm happy that people are fixing all their health problems like that's amazing so keep doing that thing yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever it was for you like but i think yeah on, definitely online now that like anyone can have a platform it's like it's like I, I was literally talking about this the other day where it's like you could go and search your opinion on google or even on on instagram or on tiktok and try to find a video and you'll you'll come up with things that support your opinion and then you could like search the opposite and then it'll also come up with evidence that supports that opinion. You almost do it subconsciously. Like you're right. You could go to Google and type yeah. in, why is meat good for me? Or you could yeah. type in, why is meat bad for me? And the amount of information yeah. on either side of that yeah. topic, you could just read for hours and hours and hours. Oh yeah. It's like, it's too much. I feel like people, human brains like weren't designed to have that much information. <laughs> available all the time like i feel like animals like every other animal like they're either an omnivore a carnivore or a veggie or herbivore and like they eat that diet because that's like what they thrive on but humans we got to make it all complicated like i mean we could go down this rabbit hole but humans are we have the teeth to be omnivores so like there's that but i'm like i'm not gonna get into these debates <laughs> we won't go down that path but you're right i mean it's there's certainly an argument for that going back to food allergies you know when we moved to europe we were kind of shocked with how over the top they are in a lot of places with listing out all of the allergens we didn't see that a lot in the u.s i mean where you're at in your restaurant in your town is that a big thing are restaurants listing all these things yeah on we the menu? yeah we don't but like 
I think because we're kind of a nicer place, we train all our servers to either know or to ask. It kind of creates a little bit more hassle with like us, but it, I guess it also makes the guests feel like they're like getting taken care of well versus just like trying to figure out on their own. So like we'll guide someone through like if someone says like, I'm a vegan <laughs> or I'm vegan and gluten-free, what can I get? And it's like they have this whole experience of being like guided through. Like we we try to work with people like like that, even if you're vegan and gluten-free. It's like, well, we want your business. So we'll work with you. The server will either like come help them come up with something or um, they'll come back to the kitchen. And I actually enjoy like being able to suggest the best option. Like I feel like some people with allergies, they try to do it themselves or like server tries to do it and they order something that's just really bland. I would rather the server come to me and ask like, okay, this person has these allergies. Like what's the best thing for them to order? I'm happy to like guide them through that to help them like find the best thing versus like, well, I'm dairy free and I really like pizza. So I'm going to get the pizza, no cheese. And I'm like, you could have ordered something that was like dairy free. That was like actually normally dairy free. And it's like going to actually be good. At the end of the day, it comes back to you as, you know, the chef and yeah. if they don't like it, they're going to be like, ah, your food sucks. And it's like, well, even if it really was like their fault, they're not going to realize that it was their fault that they heavily modded the dish. Like they're going to be like, well, this restaurant sucks because the food was really bad. And it's like, I would rather help you find something that would be really good. Like someone had a garlic allergy and I kind of helped them guide and they ended up getting like the steamed mussels with, with no garlic sauce, but I put in like a different sauce and then they got a ribeye. So I'm like, you're eating like these nice mussels and a nice juicy steak like that's a win like you could have easily been like oh like you know i have a garlic allergy and life sucks like i can't eat anything here like sure everything has garlic but like i can work with you to come up with something that will be tasty and garlic free so what would be the worst allergy for you to find out that you had for me yeah um maybe like dairy so i actually am semi-lactose intolerant but like i started drinking raw milk and I can drink it totally fine. In the U.S., there's there's different proteins in different cows for the milk yeah, process. Yeah, A2 so like and A1. A2 and A1 in Europe yeah. is different than the U.S. So I was, I, I'm lactose sensitive, I would say. Yeah. In the U.S., it, it would bothered me a lot. And then I moved here and it doesn't bother me nearly as much. Yeah. Because that protein is different in the cows here. That's like a whole nother conversation, but like food in the US, like since I'm kind of like awake to that stuff, I shop at like smaller grocery stores and from smaller brands and like look for certain ingredients. But like, if you're just on a standard American diet, like, yeah, you're not going to be quite honestly, if you wake up, you eat cereal. It's like, just eat the actual nutrient dense foods instead of all these other foods that had to add the nutrients back into it. If everyone could just go to like some kind of culinary classes, and just learn these basics. I think everybody would. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on, Hanalei. Tell everybody how they can find you and if there's anything you want to let them know about you. Yeah. So my main line is on Instagram. That's Lady Line Cook. Um, Only Instagram. I'm not, I'm currently not on TikTok or anything. So, and then I'm on Twitter too at the Lady Line Cook. I don't post on there as much, but I'll post jokes about random stuff on there. And then uh, my website is ladylinecook.com. So that's where you can find the book. And I'm currently selling some merch um, that says like, I hate Sunday brunch and stuff like that. So um, ladylinecook.com. And then the book is called Nice Work Boys. You can search it anywhere books are sold, but the best place to buy it would be ladylinecook.com. I love all the stuff that you're doing. Keep it up. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, thank you. Bye, everybody.